very beautiful song and very well done. Thank you very, very much. I sure do like that. It's a blessing. Well, uh, Pastor has mentioned, uh, my wife, uh, before we left the room this morning, uh, told me Happy Father's Day. And, and uh, so I said, well, thank you. So that's about it today for Father's Day. So <laughs> Pastor said that I don't do much on themes. Actually, if there's a theme, uh, what I try to do is at least get the theme and the title of the sermon. And that way I can say I paid attention to the theme. Today, the title of the sermon would be, um, uh, let's see, for everyone, let's see, I I don't even have my notes. For everyone, there are two things that are a must to know. So I changed the title for Father's Day. For everyone, including fathers, there are two things that are a must to know. So there you go. It's a Father's Day sermon. Is everybody with me here? Thank you very much. All right. Go to the book of Mark in chapter number 12. The Gospel of Mark and chapter number 12. Now, I'm not going to stand and read a text. I'm just going to start in the text once we identify it here in just a little bit. And then we'll work our way through it if you're in Sunday school, sort of like we did that passage there. So we're going to start in Mark and chapter number 12. Now, I think it would be helpful if we have our mind refreshed on what is taking place at this particular time. And here's what it is. Jesus is at a point in his public ministry to where his fame is spread abroad everywhere. Uh, If you followed the accounts of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, what you would find is that as Jesus uh, went farther and farther into his public ministry, that his fame had spread abroad and the multitudes uh, came from everywhere. It didn't matter where he was, especially most of his mighty works were done, the Bible says, around Capernaum or around the Sea of Galilee. And so the Scripture says that they were coming from Galilee, from Judea, from Samaria, from beyond Jordan. So everywhere that Jews were, they were coming to where Jesus was. Why? Well, because he spake like no other man spake. Also because he fed the 5,000. Food has a way of drawing people. It always has. And so he fed the 5,000, and then the miracles of this uh, come, and the Bible clearly states that there were some that came, simply because they would see one of the miracles, or maybe be on the receiving end of some of the miracles. And so they were coming from everywhere. Now, there were, in those days, among the Jews, three major religious groups. We call them sects, S-E-C-T-S. There were three major religious sects. And uh, they were called the Pharisees, you've heard of them, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. Now, probably the best known, and in my opinion, even the most despised, would be the Pharisees because of the way Jesus addressed them uh, over their, uh, their sin and their defiance of who he was as the Son of God. But anyway, there were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. And I don't have time to go into more detail than that about uh, those three groups, except they were the three major religious groups. And if I can get a a picture in your mind this way, they had a stronghold or they had a grip on uh, the religion of the Jews. They had control so that their leaders were very powerful 
and they had great authority. And depending on who was in the place of the priest, chief priest's office, whether it was a Pharisee or the Sadducee, had to do with what segment. It would be sort of like who's in the White House. Uh, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, then they seem to have a lot of power and such as that. Well, whoever's in the chief priest's office with them, then they would have had a great deal of influence among the Jews. Well, here's what was happening. Because of the large number of people that were coming to hear Jesus and the fact that many believed, the religious leaders of those elements believed that they were losing their grip on the, uh, on the Jewish people. That we're losing our grip. And don't forget that it was profitable for them to have these positions of authority. Now, Jesus identified, I'm not going to argue with you about it, I'm just saying, you go read uh, Matthew chapter 23 and see how Jesus deals with them. And they were in a position, in a place where they profited by their spiritual leadership. And so they felt like they were losing their grip. So here's what happened. The elders and the chief priests and the scribes, they would send out people to where Jesus was teaching and preaching to try to discredit him amongst the, amongst the multitudes. Uh, they would try to, here's the Bible term, catch him in his words. In other words, they would present scenarios, uh, situations, and ask him public uh, questions and think that those questions were going to trap him. They, they thought... We'll catch him and discredit him among the people. And so every time I think about that, they're going to catch him in his words. What goes through my mind is a phrase that's used quite a bit today. Good luck with that. Because uh, Jesus was uh, the wise one who spoke only the words that his father gave him to speak. So there never was a moment where Jesus said, oh, I don't know what to say to this question. You know, that never happened. I said, that never happened. What even possible that that would happen? All right, so if you read all of Mark chapter 12, you would see that the Pharisees have had their time to discredit him. The Herodians have had their time. And where we're going to consider this morning, the Sadducees have their time to try to discredit Jesus. Now watch as we begin to read in verse number 18. Now I'm not going to read all of our texts. I'm just going to read a little bit to get us started here. All right, look in verse number 18. Now, get the picture in your mind. Jesus is teaching and preaching. There would probably be a presence of a multitude of people there. And then come the Sadducees. Uh, then come unto him the Sadducees. Now, what about these Sadducees? Which say there is no resurrection. Okay, so let me stop right there and say, obviously, they do not believe in a resurrection. Read Acts 23 uh, where Paul is presenting the message, and you'll see that Paul said they do not believe in a resurrection, neither do the Sadducees believe in angel life or spirit life or life after death. So they deny the existence of angels. They deny the existence of life after, that one could exist after death, and they deny a resurrection. They were far too intellectual to believe that somebody could die and actually come back from the dead. See, they, they were way too intellectual to believe that. And so they believe in no resurrection. You see that in verse number 18. So they asked him at the end of verse 18. And they asked him, Master. Now, Master means teacher. Excuse me. Did they come to be taught? They did not come to be taught. They came as they were sent 
by the chief priests, scribes, and the elders, they came that they might catch him in his words or discredit him. So they say in a, in a sarcastic manner, Master, you're the teacher. Look in verse 19. Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die and leave his wife behind him and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now, uh, there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed. And the second took her, and died, neither left he any seed. And the third likewise, and to make it short, verse 22, the seven had her, and left no seed. All seven brothers had her to be their wife, and left no heritage or no seed behind after their passing. Last of all, the woman died also. Now, here's the, here's the thing that they're presenting. That, in fact, in the law of Moses, there is what we know as, this is Leviticus, uh, uh, Deuteronomy 25, that it is what we call the law of the leveret or the law of the brother-in-law. And we see this enacted several times through Scripture that I'm not going to go into the detail. You can find it uh, where that if a man uh, had a wife and he passed from this life and left no seed, that was counted to be just a, a, an awful thing for that man. That he left no one on to care, left no one behind to carry on his name. And that was counted as like a curse to that individual. And so their desire was such that they wanted to leave a name to carry on the heritage of the deceased. And so it was put in the law of Moses. Okay? Then do it like this. That if a man dies and has no seed, then the next brother in line takes that woman to be his wife. And then the first child they have is left to carry on the name or the seed of the deceased. Okay, so that was, that's definitely in the law. You can find Leviticus and you can find it in the book of Deuteronomy. And you can find it practiced in the book of Ruth and other places in the Bible. All right? So that is the situation. Only in verse number 32, they present a scenario. No doubt, a hypothetical case. I seriously doubt nobody that I've ever seen that has read or studied the Bible, that's written a commentary and all that, believes that there was actually such a case that they fabricated this to present it to Jesus because they're trying to do what? Catch him in his words. They're trying to back him into a corner to where he can't get out. All the people will say, well, he couldn't be the Messiah. This can't be real because he contradicted himself. Okay, so this is their effort. So, in verse 22, the seven had her left no seed, and last of all, the woman died also. Then they ask in verse 23, can't you hear the tone with which they ask it? Like, okay, we presented this scenario, you've never thought of this before, and we're going to get you to where there is no answer for this resurrection thing that you teach. So, verse 23, in the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise... Whose wife shall she be of them? I think I hear right there. <laughs> For the seven had her to wife. And the reason I'm saying that is because they believe. I'm sure they believe with all of their heart. We got him. We, 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 uh, this may end his ministry right here. You know, I can just see they're thinking. That had to be what they were thinking. 
And so now Jesus has presented this. Is there anybody here that says, I believe that at this time Jesus was probably wiping sweat off his brow because he is thinking, oh, no, I've never thought of this. No, that isn't where Jesus was. In fact, look down in verse number 24. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, or err, however you want to say it, do ye not therefore err, because you know not the Scripture, neither the power of God? So Jesus turns it right back on them, and they are basically saying at the end of their question, We have you in an error. There is no answer. If there's a resurrection like you say, you've got a real complex problem on your hand because all seven brothers had her to wife. Now, master teacher, whose wife shall she be in this (coughs) resurrection? See, Jesus said, I'm not the one that's misguided here. That's what er means. To be drawn aside from the truth. To be led astray. To be turned from what is true or right. Jesus said, no, I'm not the one that is awry here. I'm not the one that has been led astray. I am not the one that is in error. And he turns it on them and he says in verse 24, Do ye not therefore err? You're trying to catch me in error, but aren't you the misguided ones? Aren't you the ones that have been turned aside from the truth? Because, he goes on to say, because you know not the Scripture, neither the power of God, then he elaborates on what their problem is. And in verse 25, he said, For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but as are as the angels which are in heaven. In other words, he says, you are misguided because you think that we're going to have the same life, or that we teach we're going to have the same life on the other side that we have here. Now, heaven is going to be something more far different from here than a geographical location or than a place where there is no curse. Jesus said, in that place, we will, as the resurrected, be in such a state that there will not be the union of a man and wife there like it is here Marriage will not be there like here, but will be as the angels. Now, hold on just a second. We don't believe in angels, the Sadducees would say. Well, because you don't believe in angels means what? They don't exist? Of course they exist. Doesn't matter how many people. I mean, do you notice that God doesn't take many polls to find out where people are? And is everybody, there's enough people to believe this to make it credible. God doesn't work that way. Jesus never worked that way. The fact is, there are angels. And it's funny to me that they quoted the Old Testament and quoted Moses. And if you read through the Old Testament, you can't miss the ministry and the work of angels, which the Bible says are these ministering spirits which are given to those that are the heirs of salvation. So they do the bidding and the work of God. And they said there is no such thing as angels. But Jesus said, but though you don't believe in angels... We will be as the angels which are in heaven in this sense. They don't marry. There's not the marriage union there. Now, when you say that to people here, you get various responses. For example, here's somebody that is in a very good marriage and they've loved one another, sort of like my grandma and my my mother's side of the family, my grandparents, and they were married, I think it was 64 years when Grandpa went to be with the Lord, 
And my sister, my oldest sister, got a hold of my grandma, a wonderful lady herself, and said, well, grandma, at least God gave you 64 years together. And she said, I'm thankful for every one of them, honey, but 64 with that good man would not be too many. 64 more with him would not be too many. Wow. She must have loved him if she had handled 64 more. I've never had the nerve to ask my wife, how do you feel about it? Would you like 53 more years with me? I'm not about to ask her that question. Now, you can ask her if you want to, but I'm just saying, that's where we are. That somebody looks at it and they say, well, my soul, we have a good marriage, and I love my husband, or I love my wife, and and we're not going to be married in heaven? That's what Jesus said. I mean, my own sister, my oldest sister married over 60 years, asked me, said, if, I, if Norman, her husband, if he's not going to be my husband in heaven, what's it going to be like? And my basic answer is, whatever the Bible says it's going to be like. Well, the Bible just says there won't be marriage. Well, then you want me to say something different than that? I, I'm not authorized to say anything different than that. But I will say this. Then when we get to heaven, that kind of relationship and the kind of union that exists here between a man and a wife, it doesn't mean you won't know who she is or you won't know who he is. It doesn't mean that there won't be any awareness or anything like that. But it's just not going to be like this. And some people, depends on the nature of their marriage, say, praise the Lord. It's not going to be there like it is here. You know, it just depends on where you are in your marriage. But I'm telling you this, it's going to be right. In other words, nobody is going to be in heaven saying, so this is how it is, huh? I wish I was back there now. This isn't like it used to be. Nobody's going to be there. The change is going to take place with us as well as the place where we are. And it's going to be right. There's only going to be joy. There's only going to be gladness. There's only going to be peace. There's only going to be goodness. That's all there's going to be. It is going to be right. The point is, Jesus says to them, No, I am not misguided in what I am teaching about the resurrection. In fact, He would go on to teach, as you and I both know, I am the resurrection. I am the reason there will be a resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. And if you're going to know God and know the Father, you come to Him by me, or there is no resurrection of life, but resurrection of death to you. See? So that's what Jesus' answer is. It's not going to be like it is here. And then He said, concerning this resurrection, now watch it, in verse number 26, as touching the dead that they rise... Have you not read in the book of Moses how that in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. When Listen to me. When God spoke to Moses, which was significantly in time after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God said to Moses at the burning bush, He said, Moses, I am the God of Abraham. He didn't say I was the God of Abraham. If Abraham uh, had died and was dead, if there is no life after death, then I was the God of Abraham. But if Abraham is no more, doesn't even exist, he would have said, I was the God of Abraham. But he said, I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. And God is not the God of the dead. You are misguided, Sadducees, about this resurrection matter because, and life after death matter and angels matter because he says, I am not the God of the dead, but I am the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. Now, here's the thing. The Sadducees 
made, um, I'm just, I'm just going to say it in our vernacular. They made fools out of themselves in front of the multitudes, which anybody would, trying to catch Jesus in his words and discredit the one who only spoke the words that his father gave him to speak. And the reason they made fools out of themselves is because they're confused. And how do you know they were confused? Because they didn't believe in any life after death. Because they didn't believe in the existence of angels. Because they did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm telling you, they were confused, and who could deny it? Now, why are they confused? What is it that brought their confusion? And the only reason I'd ask that is because the answer to why they were confused is the same answer as to why there's so much confusion in our culture, in our society, in our world. See, God didn't create all the confusion that's out here. No, God didn't do that. His Bible has not created this confusion. And so, the reason we're going to talk about the Sadducees is so we can talk about us, and we can talk about now, and we can talk about this time. And the reason the Sadducees were confused is stated very clearly by Jesus, if you'll look in verse 24. Look at it carefully. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err? Aren't you the misguided ones, the confused ones? Aren't you in a state of confusion? Because two reasons. You don't know the Scripture, and you don't know the power of God. There it is, right there. It's it's really very simple, isn't it? That these Sadducees lived in a state of confusion, and therefore... Uh, made such uh, fools of themselves that they're still being talked about 2,000 years later. See, I mean, this is still a classic example of here is the way of the foolish. Here is the manifestation of confusion. Where does such confusion come from? Jesus said, by not knowing the Scripture, and number two, therefore, by not knowing the power of God. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now that it's not confined to the Sadducees that you watch any any person or any people group or any way you want to look at it. And if they are not going to make it their business to know the Scripture, they can't know the power of God and they'll live in a state of confusion. That's what Jesus taught. Let's take, for example, the matter of salvation. And uh, through the years, I've uh, knocked on quite a few doors, talked to uh, lots and lots of people like others in this room have, no doubt. And uh, so, uh, yes, my name is Sam Davison. This is my wife, Sandy, or whoever uh, a partner might have been with me, or if I was by myself. And I'm talking to them, and I'm just uh, saying to them, uh, I, I, well, you know, we're from Southwest Baptist Church or Bible Baptist Church, Stillwater, depending on where I was at the time, First Baptist, Dell City. And so I just came by to knock on your door. We're visiting people in the neighborhood here, and I just wanted to find out, uh, do you have a church home, or uh, do you know if you died today that you would go to heaven? And different people, you work into it different ways. I didn't have just one way that I would approach people, just kind of depended on the situation, and so I get to talking to him, and so someone says, no, 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 I, I'm not interested, no, I, I'm not interested in that. I, I would imagine if you've done much evangelism around here, passing out tracts and knocking on doors and trying to talk to people, you've probably had a person or two say, I'm not interested, I'm not interested in that. Now, the difference might be, they might say, I'm not interested and keep walking, but if you're standing at the door, and in Oklahoma, just kind of the atmosphere and the nature of things, they're going to tell you why they're not interested. 
And the reason they're not interested is because, well, the reason is you Baptists teach one thing and the Methodists teach another thing, the Episcopalians teach another thing, the Catholics say another thing. And then the, uh, the uh, who have I left out? The Nazarenes say another thing. And, you know, we can go through the whole plethora of denominations that are out here and then start talking about Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and, and start talking about uh, the, uh, the Buddha and on and on and on. And they would say, there's so much out here that it's just confusing to me, so I just don't want anything to do with it. I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. Okay. Now... Let me show you what the Bible says. Yeah, well, these other people, they said the Bible says this. They said the Bible says this. Now, somebody, would somebody answer me this? Do you think God made a mistake in giving us this book? Now, God's not the author of confusion. It's not God that made this matter confusing. It's man's opinion of what God said that makes all the confusion and all the chaos. And we should understand also, don't I open up another subject here, but there is an adversary and there is a spirit that has gone out of this world that is anti-gospel, anti-God, anti-Jesus Christ. So we know that there is evil inspiration for a lot of confusion because I'll tell you right now, Jesus, uh, the devil doesn't care that you believe that Jesus came 2,000 years ago or that he even died on a cross or that he was raised from the... He doesn't care if you know that as long as you never repent of your sin and humble yourself and believe in him to be your Savior. And how can that happen? Well, see, it's not just that Jesus came. You've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do this. I mean, I, I could tell you stories all day long, like Pastor Montoro could and others. But I could tell you stories all day long, like the man that said to me, Oh, no, no, no. He said, No, uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm a believer, I, and I, you can't know you're going to heaven, but I think I will. Because he said, um, I believed in Jesus, and I have been baptized three times face down, by the authority of my church, and then I also try to do good. So that's how you go to heaven. Yes, you've got to believe in Jesus, be baptized by them, church of the firstborn. You've got to be baptized by them three times face down. I said, you know, I've read the Bible a whole lot, quite a bit in my life, and I said, I've never seen that baptized three times face down. Well, you'd have to have one of our teachers explain it, and I thought, yeah, I bet. Because you'll never read it in the Bible. In five lifetimes, you'll never come to that conclusion. So, see, God didn't do that. It's what somebody says that God said that did that. Or like my brother that told me, he's an elder in a certain denomination, and he says, if you believe in Jesus Christ and are baptized by the authority of our church, you'll go to heaven if you keep up a good life. Basically the same thing. And I said, well, I, why is it I have to be baptized in your water? Well, because of the authority of our church and our doctrine. Then he said, the blood of Jesus is not effective till you get in the water. And I said, that's, I've never read. That's not what the Bible says. Well, one of our elders would have to explain that to you. Is everybody with me here? See how man makes it confusing? Oh, no, no. You see, well, you, got, you, you sprinkle a baby when they're little, and then later on you make a confirmation. And then if they go and they learn this and do that, or observe this and observe that, and if they're good enough and, and on and on, then they might have a chance of going to heaven. I mean, it's just chaotic out there. You know what the confusion is about? Not knowing the Scripture... And if you don't know the Scripture, you'll not know the power of God. Why so many of the ways of salvation that people talk about are, 
are not faith-based, but works-based, is because they don't know the power of God to save. And if you don't know the Scripture, you won't know the power of God. So somebody would say, oh, so you, Mr. Davison, you know, huh? Well, I know what the Bible says. And it means what it says. And the message is consistent throughout the Bible. That justification is by faith and not by works. It's consistent throughout the Bible. And Paul is writing a whole book so that people might know the way of salvation in the book of Romans. Which book is consistent with the full revelation of God? And in this book, he argues in the first three chapters that we're all sinners. It doesn't matter if it's the Gentile world or it's the Jewish world from which he was a part. It doesn't matter. That everybody is under the condemnation of sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How difficult can this be? Hey, why does anybody want to confuse that? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. That's so hard to understand. It's not hard to understand. You have to read after somebody else to get that confused. And then he presents this argument that our being just before God is called justification. It means to be just or to be right with God. To, to have His favor, to have His approval instead of His condemnation. That that transpires or comes to a person by reason of a personal faith in who Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is. See, and that's in 4 and 5. And he talks about the fact that even Abraham was justified by faith. Uh, Jesus hadn't come and he hadn't died yet. But Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And Abraham, by faith, believed in the Messiah that would come and that would die and that would be buried. So did Job, whose life predated Abraham. And then Jesus came. And that's what Paul's writing about in Romans chapter 10. The fact that Jesus did come. And he, and he said that there's going to be no justification by the law. And, and, and he said, listen to this. He's talking about this faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, my. He says, you know, he bars from the book of Deuteronomy. He said, it, it's not like anyone needs to go up into heaven. That is to bring the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, down from above. No, nobody needs to go up and bring the Savior down. He's already come. By the time he wrote the book of Romans, Jesus had already come, died, was buried, resurrected, ascended back to the Father in heaven. What Paul is saying is the, the work of the Messiah has already been done. He is, nobody needs to go get him. He's already come. You don't need to be looking for him from heaven uh, to come and be the Savior. He has already come. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And he died for the sins of the whole world. Read the book of Romans and, and, and put it with, <laughs> it's consistent with the whole revelation of God. And he said, and no one needs to descend into the deep, that is to bring up the anointed one from the dead. He's already resurrected from the dead. So he's already come down, he's already been buried, he's already risen, he's already ascended back to the Father in heaven. You don't have to go get him and bring him down here for salvation, you don't have to descend into the deep and bring him up. He said this word, uh, listen to this, this word of faith which we speak unto you, it's nigh thee, nigh thee. Nigh? No, nigh. 
Well, the King James, you can't understand that. The word is nigh to you. What does nigh mean? Well, if I say we're nigh on to lunchtime, do you have any clue what that means? Okay. Well, he said it's near. He said this word of faith which you preach, it's nigh thee. It's as close to you. Let's read it in Romans 10. As the exercise of your mouth and heart, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Yeah, but somebody else he says, I don't care what somebody else says. It doesn't matter what somebody else says. This is the inspired Word of God telling a man how he can know he has eternal life and have his sins forgiven. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, hey, the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the Scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. You'll never regret trusting Jesus to be your Savior. You'll never be ashamed of that. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter about any of that. He said there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For who's, listen to this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, my dear friend, That is not confusing. That need not be made confusing. Act upon the... Here's what Jesus said. You don't know the Scripture. What does the Scripture say about how to be saved? Right there. And what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, Jesus said in John chapter 3, and in the whole revelation of the Gospel of John. And what Jesus, uh, uh, what Paul said in Romans chapter 10 and what Jesus said in John chapter 3 is also demonstrated for us in the Old Testament that justification has never been by the blood of goats and bulls and sacrifices and offerings. Paul said it is not possible that the blood of goats and bulls should take away sin. And by the works of the law shall no man be justified. Nobody is justified. By the works of the law. The law was given to show us that we are sinners. I said the law was given to show us that we are sinners. My word to that is mission accomplished. The word of God, the law reveals to us that we are all sinners. And that Jesus died for our sin. And that he was buried. When he went to that cross, Paul said he became sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin, but he became the sin bearer for us. Peter said he bore our sins in his own body on that tree. All the work for you to be saved and for me to be saved was done by Jesus Christ. I said all the work that was necessary for you and me to have our sins forgiven and become a child of God, all the work was done by Jesus Christ. It's finished. It's done. Five times, four times in the book of Romans chapter 5, Paul calls this salvation a free gift. Now, you can receive it, or you can walk out that door if you're not saved and work it out yourself and perish. Neither is there salvation in the other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
well, they believe this and, you know, just however we're all going to the same place. No, no, that is not what Jesus said. That is not at all what He said. If you know the Scripture, you'll know. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who said, no man comes to the Father but by me. Now, if that's not true, we're silly for meeting here today. We're silly for singing these songs today. If that's not true, there's no point in a Bible. There's no point in us being here. There's no point in us having any kind of assembly. There's no point in us sending missionaries all over the world if it's not so what Jesus said. And so others will say, well, he's a good teacher. He was a good teacher. Not if he lied to people, he wasn't a good teacher. I said not if he lied to people about who he was, he wasn't a good teacher. But it's absurd to think that he lied about who he was. The overwhelming evidence is he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now look, God didn't make that confusing. Man has made it and continues to make it confusing. See, don't know the Scripture, you'll never know the power of God to save. If you don't believe what the Scripture says about you and your sinfulness... Jesus and His dying for our sin. If you don't believe what the Scripture says, you'll never know the power of God to save you. You'll leave this life thinking, well, everybody's got a chance. We're all going to go to heaven sooner or later. God's a good God and He wouldn't let anybody go to hell. Oh, so and on and on. And all the confusion, plethora of unbiblical notions that are out here. It's chaotic. It's confusing. So unnecessary. Know the Scripture. Know the power of God. Now listen to this. I'm talking to some in this room that have that settled. You know for sure that Jesus is your Savior. Well, I'm just going to, I'm not going to make this long. I'm just going to say that what Jesus said, know the Scripture, know the power of God. What He said is the answer to every question that arises. Okay, it's Father's Day. It's Father's Day. Uh, how would a man know how to be a, a good husband? Well, I suggest going to the Bible. It's God that created the institution of marriage. It's God that established the roles. Well, yeah, but this is 21st century, you know, and here in the United States of America, the old-fashioned way of the American home and everything, and, uh, and those old TV families where their dad and he kind of seemed to be running things. Mom, no, that's a thing of the past. That's not where we are. Okay, how's it going? I said, how's, how's the institution of marriage holding up? That's what I thought. Why? Because the Bible gives a specific role of a husband and a father. The Bible gives a specific role for a woman. Now, well, it's talking about that headship and that submission and stuff. That won't fit today. Well, then go do it your way. I'm not trying to be smart, Alec. I'm just saying, this is not complicated. There's no need in being confused about this. Life doesn't need to be as hard as people make it. Know the Scripture. Know the power of God. Find out what your role is as a husband and live it. Find out what your role is as a wife and live it. And find out what the parents' role is in relation to the children. The farthest thing from Bible reality and truth is that children should run the home. That's as far removed. And parents today are afraid of their own children. 
It's just, it's incredible what's taking place. And wonder what, what, what's happened here in America? What's happened? So many fatherless children. What's happened so much divorce? What's happened so many people living together apart from marriage? What's happened? Well, it didn't come because everybody tried the Bible way. Know the Scripture. Know the power of God. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to confess here. I'm a Montoro fan. I love the family. And people I hear back home at our church and other places around travel and stuff, oh, why would people even want to have kids? They all, times are so difficult and hard and confusing. How would you expect to raise good kids in this day and time? By the Bible. And you know, there are people that have met and know the Montoro family that say, well, they're lucky they got good kids. I'm going to submit to you that luck didn't have a whole lot to do with it. Purpose. Purpose. What's the purpose? Know what the Scripture says about child rearing. Know what the, role, the Scripture says about the role of a husband and a father and live it. Know what the Scripture says about the role of the mother, no matter which way the cultural winds are blowing. Find out what the Bible says about the role of a mother, no matter what the cultural winds are. I don't care if it's the culture here in the United States of America or in the remote places of the world. Uh, the Bible transcends God's Word. I said the Creator God, His Word transcends every culture everywhere. And when you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you forget about the culture and you live by the Word of God. See? And know what the Bible says about that husband's role and the wife's role. Then act upon it. Well, that's just not the way. Then you're on your own. I'm not much to say, good luck, but I don't know what else to say to somebody who says, well, we're not, we're not. I mean, you don't know my wife. She wouldn't accept this like being submissive. And you don't know me. I'm a real timid guy. I'm just as soon as she make all those decisions. Then good luck. Good luck in raising kids that know anything about a proper order. See, the, God's Word made the order very clear. First Corinthians 11. God, Jesus, man, woman, and then children under the authority of parents. Now, I'm going to submit to you that God is God. Jesus only did the will of His Father. I said Jesus only did the will. The order of authority was never messed up by Jesus. He only did what the Father said. Always the will of His Father. So the problem comes somewhere under Jesus. Man, woman, children. That's the order. Well, that's not popular in the 21st century. I'll ask the question again. How's it going? What is this business of parents killing children all over our country? What is this business of parents killing children? Don't act like it's not happening. You see the news. It's everywhere in this information age. What is going on here? What is it with all the teenage suicides? What's with all the abandonment of responsibility? What's taking place here? Well, what do you expect when people don't know God's Word nor His power and take it on their own to try to run their life, their home, and raise children? Huh? Well, some of these children, they don't believe in, uh, parents don't believe in God and their kids grew up and they made a lot of money. If that's the criteria, fine. We're talking about something far beyond money, my friend. 
We're talking about what money cannot buy, and you know it. Now, what area of life doesn't need to hear? Know the Scripture. Know the power of God. Know the Scripture. Know the power of God. Somebody might be here, and you've got bitterness and anger and unforgiveness in your soul, and you carry that around, and you're not only miserable, it seems like without even knowing it or trying, you're making other people miserable. Well, I don't know if this happened to me. I just can't get over that. I can't get what, Do you know what the Scripture says about bitterness? Do you understand that there is the power of God that can get you past bitterness and actually enable you to forgive? What about hate, jealousy, malice? What about addictions? All manner of addictions. Whether it's from pornography to drugs. Right now we have a huge opioid situation in Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma per capita, the chief opioid state in the United States of America. It's it's almost a hopeless situation. Yeah, without Jesus, I would say that's right. But if you know the Scripture and you know the power of God, that's the answer. So it doesn't matter. If it's finances, know the Scripture. Oh, it is the book for finances. (laughs) Definitely. Know the Scripture. Know the power of God. I've sat with many and many a person as a pastor with trouble, uh, a burden, overloaded, discouraged down. I've never had anybody say to me, ever, Pastor, I heard what you taught and preached. I read what the Bible said, and that's what I've been living, and I'm in the biggest mess I've ever seen. I don't even... I, I tried to obey the Bible, do what God said, and I'm in this incredible mess. I have no idea. I've never had anybody say I said, I've never had anybody say that. Ever. Ever. In 52 years. Ever. But I can't tell you how many people sat with all kinds of problems. Well, no. Well, no, no, I haven't read. No, I haven't studied the Bible. Well, no, I go to church when I feel like it, but I haven't felt like it, so I damn it, gone. And wonder why things are messed up. Don't know the Scripture. Jesus said these words, not me. I didn't make this up. Know the Scripture. Know the power of God. The, the, listen, the Sadducees were in their kind of confusion. People are in their own kind of confusion all over everywhere about everything from religion to morals to sexual identity to finances and money and politics and the whole bit. Know the Scripture and you'll know the power of God. Father, now, I...